Hello and welcome to episode 68 of the BNCast. Not a podcast that says nice whenever someone says the number 69, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I'm Scott and I'm joined by the Goblin Rabble Master herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? Yeah, hey, I'm not doing too bad. Bit of a quiet one this week in terms of magic, um, but mm-hmm. I did manage to update my cube as next week I am away. I'm away in Portsmouth <gasps> to see some friends for Halloween as nice. there's a group of people. I need to bring my cube. I need more people mm-hmm. to play this thing because my cube, I made it as like a pandemic sort of project because I was really yeah. bored. Um, so I've only managed to Winston draft it like a handful of times. So it's, go- it's going to be good to have more than one person, like more than one and two people to actually play this cube. Yeah. So I'm quite excited to get some mileage in. With that, I do want to give a quick shout out to yours truly, Wizards of Coast, for sending me a set of the, the Pioneer Challenger decks. Nice. Which I'll be doing some coverage for for MTG Rocks over the next few weeks. Also, I'm going to look to upgrade these uh, as we did on episode 66. So if you want to upgrade them, there's your starting point. Mm. Because Pioneer FNMs are starting up at my LGS again next month. So I'm just like, let's go. Yeah, I'm getting really, really excited. <laughs> um, so I'm going to upgrade them all, lend them out to people, become that Pioneer girl mm. at the LGS because no one else really cares. But I'm going to try and make people care. Nice. Try and get the format blossoming in a local setting because we both love it and we both talked about how great it is repeatedly. Yep. Also last week, I did mention about my IGM review for Fizzman's Treasury of Dragons, the, the new mm. D&D supplement. That is up this week, I believe now. They, they had to push it back a little bit. Um, so feel free to hop over on IGN and if you're into Dungeons and Dragons, I recommend reading it. Mm. Outside of Magic, I haven't done a huge amount, although I did play some Mega Man X, and I'm a little upset that Advance Wars on the Switch has been put back until March now, because I was looking forward to that this Christmas. Mm. Besides that, how about you? How's it going? Yeah, I'm alright. I'm alright. I've been hard at work with brewing and building Commander decks. I think I mentioned a bit of this last week, but I've now overhauled a pile of my decks, and I've made some new ones. Uh, I kept the ones that I reach for and play with regularly but some of them just sit in the deck drawer now and i i just don't want any of my decks to see no play so i have to change that up so now i've got wart the raid mother which is a gruel spell slinger deck which is bananas it's one of the most fun decks i've ever played uh Kalane reclusive painter which is treasure and plus one plus one counters it's secretly an academy manufacturer deck but if you don't have that out it's just it's possibly the most mid-range deck i've ever played then I have, this is my current favorite. It's Aluna Apex of Wishes, Ooh. which is a ramp and mutate deck, but it also has Karuga Companion. Nice. So, cool. oh, it's great. It's real good to play. Then I changed my Jalrail Monvuli Reckless deck into Mowu Loyal Companion because I am more of a dog person than a cat person, let's be yes. honest. Good um, yeah, and that's plus one, plus one counters in Voltron. And then finally, I have a Remy of the Dead Tide, which I think I talked about before, which is like an encore reanimator kind of. Thing. so i designed them all for playing uh, on people's streams and stuff so they're all super super fun to watch mm. and play and play against and stuff so yeah it's good my article this week is all about beating brewer's block in commander so you know sometimes you get stuck you can't build a deck no matter how badly you really really want to so i included a bunch of interesting restrictions that you can impose on your deck building to help get the creative juices flowing And I've also included a number of decks from both my own collection and some from members of the community as well, uh, including Angelo. He's in there. So that is live on Card Kingdom now, if you want to go check that out after the show. Outside of Magic, I haven't been doing a whole lot, to be honest. I've kind of been the opposite of you this week. I have been very Magic-focused. I did play a sweet little indie game, though. It's called Minute. I think it's from, like, 2018, thereabouts. It's very reminiscent of, like, old Zelda games. So like top down, screen by screen kind of thing, except it's in black and white and it has this weird twist. Your character dies every 60 seconds. 
and they respawn at the house. You can just continue the journey from there. But the things that stick around are the things that you've completed. So one part, you have to kill five crabs, for example. If you kill four and then you don't get the last one in time and you go back, all five will be there and it wouldn't have counted. That kind of thing. It didn't take me long at all to complete. I think I got it done under two hours, but it is super, super fun, especially if you like sort of thinking things out and planning routes and that kind of thing. But yeah, in terms of housekeeping, Emma, have we got anything this week? We do. We would like to give a warm welcome to Anthony Burchett, who is the latest member of the Cheering Fanatic tier on Patreon. So thanks a lot for your support, Andy, and enjoy all the benefits on offer. Yes. And actually, Anthony Burchett is also known on Twitter as Listener Alters. So you can go check Ah, them out. Yes, they sent me a wonderful, lovely Slogurk the Overslime proxy, which is a fish wave from Ponyo. It's really, really cute. I love it. So, Anthony, thank you very, very much. And yes, check them out over on Twitter at ListenerElf. If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. You'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show. And their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast to level up your game and get your stonks on. All right, Emma, it's your turn. Card of the week. What have you got for me? So my card of the week, it's not really a budget one, so I'm going off a bit trail a little bit. Um, but it's a really good one. Um, so it's Treasonous Ogre from the first Conspiracy set. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for free generic and a red, you get an Ogre Shaman. Uh, it is a 2-3. Mm-hmm. And it reads, so it has Dethrone. Dethrone is whenever this creature attacks, the player with the most life or tie for the most life, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. However, the most important part on the card is mm-hmm. that you pay free life and you add one red mana. So it is essentially channel for red decks. Um, yep. It's very, very powerful. Um, also, this is an uncommon, by the way. It's not like a rare or a mythic, but uh, it probably mm-hmm. should be, right? <laughs> Dethrone is deceptively good in Commander as a mechanic because the Ogre can just grow if you're able to connect with opponent like on a, like a Loro life gain deck. Like You can really punish them for that. Mm. Um, and then this just gets out of hand and then you, know, you have to deal with it at some point, right? However, it will make you the threat player instantly because yes. the second you resolve this, you're looking to do something pretty gross. Like, you want to activate that ability as soon as possible, right? Mm-hmm. So expect lots of removal, lots of counter, lots of hate coming your way. Because if you're doing, if you're casting this, you want to do something stupid with it. You want to leverage the, the life resource. Because you have 40 life in Commander, so just yeah. generating those red mana seems pretty good. Yeah. I play this in Lelia, the Blade Reforged. Normally I slap something that gives lifelink to Lelia and then I just play this and pay like 30 life and just empty my hand, go huge, semi-storm off sort of. It's, oh, it's bonkers. It's it, is, it is just under $5, which might seem a lot, um, but in the sort of colours that you are is quite important because it's a sort of ramp. It's ramp with a cost, which is very red, mm-hmm. and you put, pretty much play this exclusively in red decks because it allows you to get ahead. But no, the card's great. Yeah. And probably not going to get reprinted for a long time because Dethrone's a weird mechanic and it's a weird place to put it back mm. into a set. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so speaking of red cards, we're going to be talking about a lot of them here. We are having another Modern Highlights episode, as I'm sure you've read on the title. We are talking about 8-Whack. This is... It has a bit of a history as being like sort of a meme deck, I suppose. Mm. But people that don't respect it are doomed to lose to it, simply. 
So before we jump in, if you want to check out the decklist as well as all of our tips and tricks, including some exclusive ones, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast where you can gain access to the show notes and exclusive niche lines and little tricks and tips and stuff there to immediately level up your game with the deck. So first of all, what is it? It's an aggro deck. It's a hyper linear aggro deck, kind of like a glass cannon. It looks to burst right out of the gates with an incredibly fast start and then use one or two burn spells to close out the game. It is technically a goblin tribal deck, I suppose, due to the sheer number of goblins present, but yeah. It does this by playing out a bunch of small aggressive creatures and then pumping them using a whack effect, which we will get to in a moment. We're only going to include one list this week, and the reason for that is because it's pretty much optimized as is. And that is, it's $88, according to MTG Goldfish. And this is my partner Leanne's actual 75. This is the deck that she takes to FNM to absolutely wail on people. And it's very funny because a lot of the time, I'm sure you've experienced this yourself, Emma, where you go to sit down with someone that you haven't played against. And first of all, they don't fully respect you because you're a woman. Let's be real. Yeah, magic yeah. players. I get, yeah. I get the side eye a lot. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. Right. They, t- they tell me how the stack works. And I'm just like, no, it actually works like this. And then they get really, really quiet because they didn't expect me to answer. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm digress. <laughs> <laughs> and not only do you get that, but <laughs> also when Leanne kills someone with a deck that costs roughly maybe 5 to 10% of the cost of their opponent's deck, there's a certain level of, like, satisfaction from there's that, There's a misnomer know? in Magic, and more so in Modern, especially now Modern's become really expensive again, thanks to Modern Horizons too. is that mm. cheap equals bad, but it doesn't. No. Like, you can buy, like, a $1,500 deck. You can lose with it a lot. You could be terrible with it. It doesn't... The value doesn't mean you'll be good at something. Sorry, guys. Like, yeah. I don't, don't want to upset any listeners out there, but it's like, it's just... It, Cheap doesn't necessarily mean bad. For sure. It just means accessible. Sure. It means more people can play, and that's what you want, right? That is exactly it. End round. So, Emma, take us through a couple of the key cards for this deck. Cool. So, this one's sort of the namesake card, one of the namesake cards of the deck. Uh, so, this is Goblin Bushwhacker. It was printed back in, what, original Zendikar? So, mm-hmm. for one red, you get a 1-1 Goblin Warrior, and it's got a kicker for red. And kicker is, when, it, when you cast it, you pay this as part of its cost. So, it would be two red red in this instance. When Goblin Bushwhacker enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, the creatures you control get plus one plus oh and gain haste until end of turn. Um, mm-hmm. This is what this is the first of like the four quote unquote whack abilities mm-hmm. or whack creatures of the deck. And then you just you essentially you cast the kicker cost on this um, as like a final blow against your opponent. It's very very mm-hmm. simple but very effective. Yep. And you said that was the first of four whacks. Copies five to eight of the eight whacks is Reckless Bushwhacker, which is two and a red for a 2-1 Goblin Warrior ally with haste and has a surge cost. So you can cast the spell for a surge cost uh, if you or a teammate, well, basically in modern it's just you, uh, have cast another spell this turn. The surge cost is one and a red. And it has, when it enters the battlefield, if its surge cost was paid, other creatures you control get plus one plus oh and gain haste until end of turn. So it's exactly the same effect as Goblin Bushwhacker, except it needs to be cast for the surge cost instead. Like, if you're paying three mana for a Bushwhacker, something's gone wrong. Unlike Goblin Bushwhacker, though, this can be cast from the mana generated by Burning Tree Emissary, which is another one of the key cards. Burning Tree Emissary is hybrid gruel, so green-red, hybrid gruel, hybrid gruel, for a 2-2 human shaman that reads, when it enters the battlefield, add red and green to your mana pool. So... This is kind of the key to unlocking the deck's most explosive starts because of the mana that it generates. So you pay two mana 
to get a 2-2 that gives you 2 mana. It technically costs nothing. You can cast a Burning Tree Emissary and then cast a Reckless Bushwhacker off it. That's 5 damage for 2 mana with a lot of that power sticking around on the board afterwards. And it's really not unusual to string several Burning Trees together. Like, you can go Burning Tree, Burning Tree, Burning Tree, Bushwhacker. Like, that is not an unusual line to come across. And that's often enough to close the game on the spot. Yep, and then lastly we have Goblin Grenade, which is a fun little common that is playing (laughs) these kind of decks. For one red, you get a sorcery that reads Sacrifice a Goblin. Goblin Grenade deals 5 damage to any target. It's the best bolt in modern for the Goblin deck, pretty much. (laughs) Comes out of nowhere, uh, can close the game immediately, and it's really anticipated, so no one's going to play around this. Like, this is the Mm. only deck that runs Goblin Grenade. Once opponent gets hit by it, they tend to play extra carefully uh, to make sure they haven't been got again. A lot of the time people think, oh, I'm out of lightning bolt range, I'm in, like, I've got four life, I'm out of bolt range, I'm good against the the red heavy deck. And you're just like, nah, Goblin Goblin Grenade, get you, with my Mogul Marshal, GG. Yeah, yeah, Goblin Grenade is really, really good. Just as a little behind the scenes on this, uh, <laughs> we were we were doing the show notes for this just before recording, and <laughs> we uh, we enlisted the help of my partner Leanne because, like I said, this is her deck. This is her seventy five that we're talking about, and she was just gushing nonstop about every single card in the deck, being like, "This is my this is my ugly little friend, and I love him, and this is brilliant, and this is so good, and I love when I kill someone with this," and that kind of just joy over over a deck like this like you only get those kind of players playing decks like this just cool little decks that like completely surprise people it's pet deck that to me is like some of the best parts of modern some of the worst parts of modern however for you if you're playing eight whack are these cards to be aware of the first one is sweepers so it's really really hard not to play this deck and like not commit really hard to the board because that's the whole game plan play out a load of creatures, and then make them big for one turn and kill. So if you anticipate some sweepers, which thankfully in modern there aren't many at the moment, but if you do anticipate some, try to reserve some creatures where possible, like maybe keep a Burning Tree Emissary and a Bushwhacker in your hand and just play out the rest, uh, because you can hold on to those to do an extra second burst of damage post-sweeper if you need to, you know? Yeah, uh, and another one that is pretty good against the the one drop deck or the one mana mm. deck is uh, Chalice of the Void. Considering the entire deck is consisted of one and two drops, it's really really rough because you don't have yeah. any main board artifact hate, mm. so you have to blow it up post board. So you just have to play around it, especially if there's like uh, you've got a Tron player that has the Khan Great Creator package. They just go and get Chalice of the Void. Just be mindful of that game two and three because you won't be able to play any of your cards, and that's just not a fun time for anyone. Agreed. Yeah, Chalice is pretty bad. The other main card to be aware of, and it's technically under the Sweeper banner, is Plague Engineer. Because, I mean, nearly everything you have here has, like, one toughness. To be honest, the card really sucks. Yeah, I I personally hate it. I know some people are like, oh, it's good for modern because XYZ. And I'm like, yeah, but XYZ are all terrible reasons. So, you know. But I digress. Yeah, Plague Engineer, woeful. Absolutely huge beating against this deck. So just kill it wherever you can. Now, we're powering through this, by the way. And, like, it's no surprise. It's one of the fastest decks in modern. I was going to say, we're just playing, like, Eggbat Pilots, <laughs> aren't we? We're just getting we're, through we're, this nice and easy. Yeah. We, we like lunch, all right? Yeah, yeah. We're, yeah, we're getting through this quickly so we can go have lunch. Yeah. Long day. <laughs> so there's some good matchups for this deck that if you don't like any of the decks that we're about to talk about, you are going to have a good time playing 8-Wack because you're going to have a breeze. So first up, Death Shadow. 
this is one of the easiest matchups going. Like, you both want to damage your opponent. And you will play more creatures than they can remove. So, you know, you can play, like, turn one, a creature, and then turn two, play a Mog War Marshal. Even choose to play, like, the Echo Cost or something. That's, like, three creatures by turn two. Your opponent has single targeted removal. You're going to be able to squeeze in a Bushwhacker effect somewhere and just get them, you know? So And considering they like to hit themselves a lot. Um, like mm-hmm. the face shock mana bases and stuff, and they won't expect the goblin grenade that you have in your hand. Exactly. So it's all it's all it's all coast and nice and easy. Yeah. So the next deck is one that I, you know, I do play, and if I was to play against Eight Whack, I'd be very nervous because Eight Whack has a really good Tron matchup, especially as Tron doesn't do a lot until turn three because you care about assembling Tron. A lot of your mm-hmm. spells are expensive, like your payoffs. Ugin can be a nightmare, but if I'm able to resolve an Ugin against Eight Whack. They probably kept like a bad hand or something, let's be honest, yeah. right? Like, I'm getting lucky yeah. with that, right? I have to survive at least turn four to at least stabilize, but I have to find either like a worm coil if I've got mainboard frag tusks for whatever reason, or mm-hmm. I'm relying on Khan to get Chalice of the Void, for example. Yeah. It's it's really, really tough, and you can just top deck anything, and it will probably just kill me. So, yeah, I'm not keen on playing against Aback, let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As a Tron player. Un- understandable. Another good matchup, generally speaking, for 8WAC is Mill. Mill has started to have a bit of a resurgence recently, so it's less of a... I have a good matchup against a meme deck, because it is actually pretty decent now. So, the crabs can block. So there's eight crabs in the deck. There's the rune crab and hedron crab. But generally speaking, they're not going to want to risk losing them, because they're some of the better repeatable sources of Mill. They do have some removal, like a couple of fatal pushes, maybe a murderous cut or something... But they don't have that much, really. So that's not too much of a concern. What's funny is Archive Trap needs to be turned on by Field of Ruin because you've no search effects in your entire 75. There's no fetches, there's no nothing. And the Field of Ruin can only hit four of your lands, which is the Ramanap Runes, because it can't target basics. So it does almost nothing against you, which means if your opponent kept a hand with a couple of Archive Traps, it basically is like a mulligan to five. So. I, do, I do love how 8WAC has this built-in way of just not getting our card trap, just through, yeah. just through happenstance, like, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the one card now to watch out for is Tasha's Hideous Laughter, because your deck mana value overall is just very low. However, they have to spend three mana on that, which means it has to be turn three, and they have to be still alive. Yeah. So <laughs> that's kind of difficult for them as well. So they tend to be their good matchups. Uh, generally speaking, like the first couple of turns, if they're not doing a whole lot, they're just going to be in enormous trouble. So what runs contrary to that, though, are the bad matchups. These have a tendency to do a couple of things early on that really hinder your game plan. The first one being humans. It's like goblins, only they go bigger, you know. So <laughs> they've better long game. It says a lot about your potential to play long, by the way, because humans does not have a good long game. <laughs> you got to watch out for Thalia's first strike. Thalia's lieutenant is a permanent pump, unlike your whack effects, which are temporary. And deputy detention out of the board can just absolutely destroy you. You basically just sideboard in as much removal as humanly possible. But yeah, it's You have no way to deal with, like, Mantis Riders either, because none of your goblins fly. You need to kind of keep Noble Hierarchs in check, because if Mm. Mantis Rider comes as a 4-4 flyer, and it's just like, you're not beating that... Um, yeah. It's a pretty rough one because, as you say, humans just go over you because they just have these built-in synergies that stick around. And I know how much you love humans, Scott. So. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> love humans. 
both in and out of game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so next up, this one seems really, like, really rough. I'd be tempted to see quite quickly. And that's Martaproc. Because, yeah. simple reason, there's life gain. You're a, you're a very hyper-aggressive red deck. Any form of life gain, you're going to have a hard time with. Especially with Martaproc, a lot of the creatures are recursive, so they can trade with your goblins when you're trying to expand the board. Mm. If you do have 8-whack, and for some reason, in your modern <laughs> meta game is modern circa 2013-2014, um, adding stuff like uh, Skullcrack, Rolling Vortex, or even Rampaging Frostodon from Ixalan, mm. It's a really, really good sideboard option just to really stymie all the life gain so you can actually, you know, have a chance to win. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Oh, it's really rough. Oh, I just um, get lunch. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> win quick or lose quick. It's fine. <laughs> the last of the bad matchups we're going to talk about is like blue-white mid-range or blue-white flicker, which mm-hmm. has started to show up a bit more recently with, you know, the likes of Wall of Omens and Restoration Angel and things with just high toughness. Like... The Yeah. There's also loads of removal as well. Like, Prismatic Ending hits every single thing in your deck. God, it's so good in modern. You know? Yeah. And they also have, like, Solitude and stuff and Flicker shenanigans and with blocking and everything. It's, it's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. The only hope you kind of can have against them is if they don't have a Wall of Omens and you have a very fast start. That can put them into a precarious position, but anything other than that is probably going to spell doom for, for you. It's very, very tough. The sideboard does have some things that help you get through that. Like Goblin Piledriver is good because some of the creatures are blue and lets you get through them. Uh, It can also just be a huge, huge scary attacker. And possibly Reality Hemorrhage in case they have pro-red creatures in the board. Mm. But yeah. yeah. So they are good and bad matchups. And like I know we joked about it earlier, but I genuinely think this is the fastest modern highlights that we've ever done. I mean, uh, that's fine, right? It's, it's, on, <laughs> it's on flavor. It's absolutely it is fine. absolutely so on theme, I'm just, yes. I'm just worried for when we have to do the blue-white control one. Oh, no. We're going to have a 90-minute episode. <laughs> Get Angelo on for that one. Oh, Angelo can replace me for that episode. How's that? Fine. As long as you're editing it, fine. Uh, right. Okay. Let's move on to some tips and tricks. So, Emma, have you got one for us? Yep. So, in the more grindy matchups, I know you don't really want to have grindy matchups because you're a hyper-aggressive Red Goblin deck. Don't be afraid to pay Mog War Marshal's Echo Cost. That mana makes all the difference because it's just one more creature they have to remove. Mm-hmm. You want them to burn their removal and their resources as much as possible. So, if you can get wider um, with, like, Mog War Marshal, go for it. Yep, 100%. It's one of the few ways in which you can get value from your creatures, so yeah. take it wherever you can, I suppose. Similarly, on the topic of War Marshal, uh, sacrificing Mog War Marshal to a Goblin Grenade on the same turn that you play it minimizes the downside of sacrificing a creature because you play War Marshal and then you play Grenade. Sacrificing it, it gives you the token. So you don't have to wait until the next turn. You're just going to get a little bit extra value from it. Speaking of Mog War Marshal, apparently this is just a Mog War Marshal's <laughs> tips and tricks section. Um, Mog Marshall's token that comes in after you don't pay its echo cost will also pump Foundry Street's Denizen as well, which gets mm. stronger with the more goblins and creatures that are in play. Um, yeah. So yeah, just just play smart with Mog Marshall. That's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. Now, there is one card in the deck that we haven't really talked about yet, and that is Devastating Summons. So the reason this hasn't come up is because it's not really a goblin, Leanne also hates the card 
She she knows that it's necessary in the deck, but she hates it because of what it does. It's one red for a sorcery, and as an additional cost to cast it, you sacrifice X lands. And she doesn't want to sacrifice on lands, but, you know, needs must. The effect is you put two XX red elemental creature tokens onto the battlefield, and that's X is the number of lands you've sacrificed. So this can be really difficult to use correctly. Generally speaking, this is a way to mitigate flooding. You know, if you have a devastating summons in hand and you just draw four lands off the top, you could just make two huge four fours or something, you know? But it's best when you have three mana. So you float three mana, you cast devastating summons, but only sacrifice two lands. That'll give you two two twos. And then if you have a bushwhacker, you can play it using the other two floating mana. That will give you an immediate eight damage for three mana. And you'll still have a land left over and a lot of your deck can operate on just one land, sometimes two. Mm. So it'll obviously be better with more lands, but three lands sacrificing down to one is usually the minimum. You don't want to sack all your lands unless you know that, you know, your opponent's tapped out, you have a, a bushwhacker in hand, and if you sack all your lands and kick a bushwhacker, then you'll kill them. That's fine, but generally speaking, you don't want to get rid of all of them. Yeah, that's a good one. And also, um, even if you do flood, you do have access to Ramunat Ruins, so if you mm-hmm. need to get the last few points of damage, that also yeah. exists. I remember when that card got banned in Standard, on a side note. Yeah. Remember that time? Yeah, yeah, busted. <laughs> so, also, uh, Mob Fanatic is great at dealing with Dash Ragavans, uh, Dragon Race Channelers, mm-hmm. Esper Sentinels, Igmoth Nexus, Farliers, Noble and Ignoble Hierarchs, so it's really good against like X1s, um, is what yeah. we're trying to say here. And Modern is still in a theme of powerful X1s, so Mog Fanatic is just a really, really good option. Don't be afraid to use it to remove a Noble Hierarch so they don't play that Mantis Rider, turn ahead, that kind of thing. Yeah, if you find that you have an awful lot of Ragavans and that kind of thing in your metagame, don't be afraid to load up a couple more of these, because they are really really good now something that i was testing out a little bit i haven't seen many people do this but i tried it out and i got leanne to try it as well because you know she's the the more skilled pilot with this deck we realized that it is actually very good and that is battle cry goblin this is the yes. new spice the new tech so battle, right? yeah battle, battle cry goblin is one in a red for a 2-2 goblin and you can pay one and a red to have goblins you control get plus one plus oh and gain haste until end of turn. But it also has pack tactics. And it says whenever Battlecry Goblin attacks, if you attack to a creatures with total power six or greater this combat, you create a one-one red goblin creature token that's tapped on attacking. So first of all, pack tactics is almost always active. It's both a repeatable whack effect and a really good mana sink. So this just does it all. This is another way to sort of help mitigate flooding. Now, I know you've only got 18 lands in the deck, which is, you know, really, really low these days. But sometimes you do just draw an extra couple of lands. So there's one Battlecry Goblin in the deck, and it's kind of neat for doing this kind of thing. So one thing that I have seen this be used for is playing Burning Tree Emissary into this. And then the next turn, when you untap, you can just give everything plus one, plus oh, and attack in like that. Or again, if you just top deck this and you're flooded out a little bit, you can play it, immediately activate it, and then start attacking in and and rebuilding the board and stuff. So, yeah, yeah it's it's got its use. I don't know if one is the right amount. I kind of want like two, I think. Yeah. Two or three seems good. I enjoy the card, but I enjoy it from a cube perspective. It's like a mm. house in my cube um, because my cube is starting to go a little bit goblins-y. Yeah. Those whack effects are really, really good. So every time I've played this card, I've been thoroughly impressed with it. I know <laughs> cube's not the same as constructed and, and modern, but mm. because it's very, very powerful, it, you can do a lot with it. Yeah. So 
that is going to be it for the tips and tricks section here. If you want more, we have exclusive content like mulliganing and sideboarding tips and also general tips on which one drops to play and in which order. You can find this over on patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. Any level of support, any of the tiers over there will give you access to the show notes, which includes all of the deck lists and the deck advice, including everything we've set up until this point. And that is it for 8WAC. This is possibly one of the cheapest decks in the format, one of the fastest decks in the format, and the one that people prepare for probably the least. So Also, it's the one with the lowest maintenance as well, because... 100%. You don't need to keep up with the constant, you know, barrage of sets that are coming out, because mm-hmm. essentially you look at the goblins or any cheap one drops, you're like, yeah, that's, you know, that'll do sort of thing, that might go in. Yeah. But you can, like, not touch this for a year and it'll still be really good, it'll still be as powerful. Uh, speaking of actually I just looked at the 75 again to see what has changed in the last say two years and uh, the one Battlecry Goblin in the main deck and the one Burning Hands that Leanne has in the sideboard specifically to deal with either a Dryad or a Titan and that's it Burning Hands is a great card so two uncommons in the last two years was needed to keep this up to date so there you go yeah big time right So, Emma, we're at that point of the episode where we're going to wind it down a little bit with some Q&A. What have we got? So, we have a question from Eclipse Mentor on Twitter, and they ask, Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on the saturation of uncommon legends in past sets since Dominaria? So, I have a strong opinion on this. I think that they are one of the best things that Magic does. Full stop. The uncommon legends that are around since Dominaria are some of the best ones for Commander right they are reasonably costed but they're not like ultra efficient they usually have interesting effects some of them are very very powerful yes like we know there's conrad and there's tatiova and that kind of thing but some of them are just like a little weird and niche uh, and it lets you build some interesting and fresh commander decks and stuff so personally i love them I absolutely love them. They're the kind of... I always reach for an uncommon legend to build a commander deck now before I even consider looking at any of the mythics. What about you? Yeah, I think I'm similar. Again, I'm going to mention my cube because I'm a cube Mm -hmm. player. Of course, I'm going to bring up my cube. (laughs) Having the access to uncommon legendaries is really, really nice because it just has these fun build-arounds. Like, you mentioned Tatiova. Tatiova's in my cube. That's a fun build-around that you can draft. Um, and also, on a side note, uh, I know we did an episode on it quite a while ago, like Poor Breedy H is a thing. Uh, yeah. Since I know you can use uncommon creatures as, you, as your commander, but having these legendary uncommon creatures just give, makes it feel more commandery, I guess. Mm. And yeah, I just think it's really good just to have these sort of powerful yet sort of affordable options at lower rarities. I don't understand why they stopped doing it when Kamigawa came around. Yeah. But yeah, the fact that they're back and they're ev- it seems to be evergreen is great. I'm all for it. Yep. Uh, so we have a tweet from Evie the Mage ninety seven, and they say so. A shout out needs to go to uh, Break the Ice for being less than one dollars and annihilating Tron and Urza Saga's strategies alike. Okay. That said, how do you feel about a green black Ponza deck in modern with this? So if you don't know what Break the Ice is, it's the double black blow up land. It's, it's like, kind of like a sinkhole, but not quite. It's the one from Modern mm. Horizons two. Yeah. Um. So from a competitive mindset. The answer would be, why run black when you can run red? Because you have access to Ragavan and all sorts of stuff. When it comes to, like, coming up with something new or fresh or exciting for the format, Ponza's not my style at all. Uh, It's it's way too close to being mid-range for me to 
respect it in any way. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, I, I'm a hundred percent behind the idea for trying new things and seeing how it plays out. If it if it offers something new and unique or a fresh take on a, an archetype, I'm all for it, one hundred percent. So Rick Gasly on the BMCast yeah. Discord, great name. Um, they ask, so do you have a deck that you're particularly proud of, and why are you proud of it? I have an immediate answer for this, and it's Lelia the Blade Reforged. Yeah, yeah, it's a hundred percent. It's it's a mono red deck, right? If you haven't seen it, you don't quite understand it. Honestly, you don't. It's a mono red Voltron deck that has insane card advantage, and when I play it, like she's the primary threat in the deck. There's pretty much no other real reliable way to win the game it's usually just her but if you kill her like a hundred times it doesn't matter because the deck has accrued so much value that it's ahead anyway you know it's my testament to people don't know how to build mono red decks correctly Mm. or they don't know how to use or utilize red card draw or card filtering or card advantage properly in commander and that's not a slide on anybody it's just look at this and take some things away from it because anytime someone plays against this they're like uh, how are you a mono red deck and you have like five cards over here in XL for next turn you've got three in XL for this turn you have eight cards in hand I don't understand how did you do this <laughs> yeah. how about um, yourself so I'm going to go with a really boring answer and mine's not necessarily proud in a sense of deck building or it's something innovative and different. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of it with the amount of reps and success I have with it. So that would be my Monogreen Tron deck, um, which I've nice. had for like five to six years, you know, since pretty much playing Magic. And it, I'm kind of proud. Like, I know people slant on Tron that it's very, very easy. And, you know, it's like, you know, Magic on easy mode, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But I've had a lot of success with it. And I've acknowledged that sort of progression and like some of the fine lines that you get with the deck. Um, because it's, it's an easy deck to play, right? But it's very hard to master. There are some things you need to be very aware of. And I just think that is probably the one I'm most proud of because it, I've seen more success over the years. And I'm very, I'm, I can play it enough to the point where I can go autopilot and still do it really well because I've just played it repeatedly. I think that yeah. would be mine. Mm, um, nice. So Minimaya on the BM Cast Discord asks, how do you make the call to buy into a deck or a playset of some staples? Like, for example, do you know the meta for Modern the Pioneer might change or the possibility of reprints or just acknowledging there's just going to be power creep of better cards? Like, at what point do you pull the trigger? For me, it's if I know I'm going to use them. Same. When, it co- when it comes to buying, like, playsets or staples or whatever. Yeah. When it comes to buying into a deck, it's if I know I'm going to enjoy it for a long time. Now, sometimes I buy a deck and I'm like... <laughs> you know what, I, I didn't actually like this as much as I thought. And I do sell it on. And between a couple of my friends, Tom in particular, if you're listening, or Ian, hi. <laughs> they they were only making fun of me last week, or the, the week before, for, uh, I was talking about like putting down Affinity for a little while. And they were like, you better not sell it. Because you do <laughs> like it. You do like it. And I was like, oh, I don't know, I might sell it. Like joking with them, obviously, I'm going to hold yeah. on to it. But uh, like, for example, I have, I have Twiddlestorm here for like two years now. Mm. That's unheard of for me. <laughs> so sometimes I do get it wrong but generally speaking if I feel like I'm going to get good use and good play out of it I'll I'll just buy it like I know that I can I can leverage my experience and reps both in Magic and with the deck that I buy mm-hmm. to be able to ignore changes in the metagame or whatever and be able to just adapt so yeah same yeah I think an important thing for me in this instance is um, to know people who have like the decks that you're kind of looking to play or you know use the power of proxies just proxy it up and have a go mm. with it just cut them out on a bit of paper and use use a basic land whatever 
um, because yep. even though you're putting that effort in to begin with, it gives you an idea whether you want to play it, which is the big one, because if you're having fun, you're going to, you know, probably do better because, you know, you're mm-hmm. more invested in it. And then on the flip side of that, knowing that you don't like it is really important as well. That process of elimination is a really important part of it. So you can just like, yep, I tried Dredge, not for me. It's not my style of deck. I can forget about that. What's the next deck? Mm. And in terms of staples, it is really hard to keep up with what's coming out just with the amount of product that's coming. It's impossible just to know when to pull the trigger. And I just think the best time is when you want to play it, like, or when you want to pick it up. Because the, sometimes the longer you wait, the more expensive it's going to be. So there's no real easy answer. Unless the only example I can think of is when Double Masters 2022 comes out next year. Because Renin 6 is going to be in there. So if mm. you're looking to play Renin 6 decks in modern, wait until Double Masters 2022 comes out. Because that will be cheaper because there will be more copies of it. That kind of thing but yeah it's very difficult because it feels like the tip of the iceberg it's, it's very difficult <laughs> yeah for sure yep. so joe cheney asks on the bmcast discord he's got a handful of questions and um, how do you deal mm-hmm. with burnout as a magic player change format <laughs> that's what i do i'm like i'm tired of modern i'm gonna go play commander and then i'm tired of commander i go play modern uh yeah that's just kind of what i do like i'm weird because i basically never burn out on magic at all no. so it's normally just the kind of magic so i'll just change that so if you're looking for a better answer to that from me, I'm afraid I don't have one. <laughs> yeah, so it, it kind of depends on the kind of what, what you play and what you want from Magic, because some people mm. are very competitive, right? So they will only yeah. play to win. If you are burnt out and like frustrated, find something else to do for a week. Just mm. have other hobbies. Contrast is really important. It's Magic's still going to be there when you're back, so you don't have to spend all your life on it. Yep. That's why I tend to do If I get burnt out on Magic, like playing, for example... Um, I will just take a week or two out, do something else, and then return. And mm. then I feel quite refreshed. Something might have changed as well. So, yep. so he's got another question. With another Innistrat and the upcoming Neon Dynasty set next year, what other planes would you like to revisit the most? Amonkhet for me. Fair. Amonkhet was good. I want to go back to Lorwyn. I want to experience Lorwyn as someone who never originally went to Lorwyn. I think that seems a quite a fun plane to go back mm. to. Or have like a Law Win remastered. That would be quite cool as well. In the same vein as mm. Times Square remastered. And also, last question. Which universes beyond IP would create an instant buy reaction from you? It's probably... It's it's one of two things for me. Three things, sorry. Um, <laughs> Dark Souls. Yeah. Uh, Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. Or Adventure Time. Ooh, Adventure Time's good. Um, yeah. So I have two. Mm-hmm. Obviously, one, one of them's The Simpsons. Um, and the mm-hmm. other one would be Steven Universe. Oh, wait, okay, yeah, add that to mine as well. Yeah. <laughs> I would love I would to see it. Steven Universe, because that show is great. 100%, yeah. Uh, oh, wait, no, I I would take a My Hero Academia one as well. <laughs> uh, there are a few that would give me instant buys, yeah. Oh, damn Yeah, it. we're just whales, <laughs> aren't we? Yeah, yeah, we're whales in disguise. We just don't know it yet, because oh, okay. they just haven't made the IPs in the secret <laughs> layers that we will go for, yeah. Um, we've got one more question from that diff on the BMCast Discord. They ask... What's a deck that you almost played for an event but changed last minute? I don't um, normally do this because I normally lock it in the night before. If it's like a GP, for example, I lock it in the night before. Deck list is written up. No taxi backsies. So <laughs> I have a tendency, if I know I'm playing in a tournament, even if it's not that big, I, I kind of get obsessed with preparing for it. Like right. I'll make I'll make like my little sideboard guides. I'll like work out the last couple of cards that's changing the sideboard or the main deck or the whatever. So it's rare that I would last minute change a deck to play a different one. 
But there have been times before where I have decided, like, oh, I'm going to go play Burn or something aggressive like that. And then last minute be like, no, I'm just going to go play something entirely different like Storm or vice versa. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I rock up with Storm and I see the, the like, because in Ireland, tournaments and stuff are, tend to be quite small. You know, I think the biggest one I've ever been to here in Ireland has been like, apart from nationals, which is like 150 people or something, mm-hmm. you're looking at maybe like 30 or 40 people. So first of all, most of the things that I go to are modern. And when you rock up, everybody has their deck, generally speaking. So when you see certain faces, you're like, okay, I'm against Titan and then Tron and then this and then that or whatever. So when you rock up and you see a bunch of them and it turns out that a lot of them that are that you know are like not good matchups for the deck that you've chosen, you might change. And I did that once or twice swapping from, I think it was actually from Storm to Burn mm. uh, once or twice. Or actually, no, it was to Mono Red Prowess instead of Storm. And yeah, that's happened a couple of times. But generally speaking, I would normally kind of laser focus in on the deck and <laughs> block out everything else and then yeah, just like I think the yeah. only time I may have like the 15th cyborg card like what am I am I edging towards this sort of matchup I think that's the only thing like I've, I've never impulsively swapped a deck like last mm. minute due to like doubt or whatever I guess I'm like way too organised I'm just like if it's done it's done I can't do anything about it I'm just going to go and get drunk before the, the GP and mm. you know play drunk the next day <laughs> Thank you for listening to us here at the BM Cast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Alejandro, Kilgore Trout 503, Max Makes Magic, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Nicholas Martin, Bradley Rose, Ian Holland, Christopher McCarthy, Tom Telford, Anton Clement, Edward Whitney, Evil Vanilla Glaze, Matthew O'Neill, and Anthony Burchett. At the Stonks tier, we have Anga Orr, Scott Creech, Simon Grip, Brian Madden, A Nice Planeswalker, Nerblin, Everett Rogan, Alex Gibson, Bo Schwartz Madsen, Mickey Paris, Mark Davis, Coffee, and Spencer Stack. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We cannot thank you enough. If you would like to support us and add your name to this list of lovely and wonderful people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagiccast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.